Digital 410 proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your hosts, Don Abernathy, Jeff Copsetta, and Henry Sledge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. And we are back for another week of fun-filled World War II education and a little bit of something else. But anyhow, joining us as always, Mr. Henry Sledge. Henry, how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing fine. Doing fine. Glad to be here as always. And there he is, tuning in from Texas. He survived the ice storms, the no school, the kids being let out to drive him crazy. Mr. Jeff Copsetta. Jeff, how you doing, sir? Good. I'm man. I'm glad to be here. You know, it's always hit or miss with me on a Monday. Happy to have you back. And tonight, Henry, why don't you uh, introduce our guest of the evening? Yeah. So uh, we're really happy to have our friend Lance Faulkner from World War II Dog Tags join What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. I met Lance, uh, I know you guys know him from your reenacting activities, but I met Lance at the 20th Symposium Band of Brothers event at the World War II Museum in August. Um, I just, Lance, refresh my memory, I th- I just got on the elevator, we were headed down to, yeah. everybody was heading to the bar to, you know, have a few beers and socialize, and uh, I think Leighton was already down there with some of the guys, and I was heading down, and you just said, "Hey, just want you to know I love your podcast." Yep. So we pretty much Clayton became friends down. right at that moment. So, <laughs> so Thanks welcome to the show. On. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, I'm thrilled to have you as well, and I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are World War II living historians, I got to say, sir, I got <laughs> I got I ordered these from you probably about ten years ago now. Um, oh, so, wow. So when I got into the hobby, uh, the first set of dog tags I had were my Marine Corps dog tags. But when I started putting together my first infantry, my first ID um, kit, first thing I did is I reached out to my mom and I had her send me a photo of my grandfather's dog tags. He uh, served grave registration. And so when I went on your website and had you uh, make my dog tags, they're actually exact replica of my grandfather's dog oh, tags with all awesome. his information. And uh, yeah great product and oh, let thanks. me just say your website has a lot of information i love the dog tag information page it talks about service numbers um basically everything if you guys have ever wondered why what is on a dog tag in the year in which it's put there you can find all that information over at world war ii dogtags.com how did you get into this hobby how, how did you get into uh this line of work oh um that's a really long story so i'll try we to have all night um, I got into the hobby at about 15, 16, maybe not even that old. And I was living in Houston and I'd come across a magazine ages before the web, uh, that from the historical reenactment society, when that was still a big deal. And it talked about the hobby and caught my eye. And uh, I'd always been an airplane fanatic, still am. Um, and, uh, I talked to my dad about it and he kind of looked at me like I had lobsters coming out of my ears and said, if it keeps you out of trouble, that's great. Um, and then for my 16th birthday, um, he got me, um, a 98 K, which was still relatively inexpensive then. And I started collecting German stuff. Um, and I did German stuff until I went in the service and I met some guys who were starting to do airborne stuff, which really had caught my eye because that's what got me in the service. 
Um, the book Paratrooper is what I read that book and I said, that's what I want to do for a living. And uh, then got into doing airborne stuff and been doing airborne stuff ever since, but uh, have branched out and uh, done some uh, just generic infantrymen, generic soldier type of things. And I've recently put together a Polish parachute infantry impression and a Canadian airborne impression. And um, if it involves falling, falling out of an airplane, I'm pretty interested in it. So and I've been doing that ever since. You know, Jeff and I both toyed around with that concept. We both know people who <laughs> have the ability, and well, I'd never toyed around with falling out of an airplane. <laughs> I, I I gave it a long, hard thought, and I, I, I still want to do it. I just don't know if I could pull that string. When did you get into uh, producing dog tags? Um, I was up here visiting my in-laws about 15, 16 years ago, and um, it's a long drive from Phoenix, Arizona, to the Portland area and my wife and I got talking and she goes, well, you should make dog tags. And she was indicating I should make dog tags for dogs. <laughs> and, um, uh, I did a bit of research while I was up here and found out dog tags for dogs was a really competitive area, but what about dog tags for people? And so at the end of that vacation visiting the in-laws, I had, already sourced a set of dog tags, set, you know, dog tags, chains, um, found a machine in Phoenix. And so in from about two weeks from the moment she said, hey, do this, you should do this, I was doing it. And I was in internet marketing at the time. So there you go. I had a website up and running in about, about two days. And within the first month, I sold my first, first set. And uh, it's paid for a lot of hobby stuff since. I, I don't want to do this, but I feel we need to. <laughs> Can we just settle once and for all? Can you squash the the horrible um, the, lore the, the, the about tooth. the notch? Can we can we just bury the notch nonsense oh, now? Let's just get it yeah, out of the way. I, I wish I wish I had the reason. I I have so the the main machine that makes dog tags is the Dresso Graph. And the Dresso Graph was the a company that made machines that did that stampings and and before you had mimeographs and and stuff like that um you know you they would make a machine that would stamp your address and your electric company would send you your bill you and they would use that for your address. and so the medical corps wanted to stamp um forms very quickly with the soldier's information which is why those are embossed it goes down and to do that, they had what's called an addressograph model 70, which is a hand stamper. And it looks like those um, embossing label things you were had when you were a kid, but it's about the size of a 45. Okay. And your dog tag fits in there. And to keep the dog tag from moving side to side, it had a notch. Yeah. And that notch keeps it from moving side to side. Because as one can imagine, when you're stamping aluminum it may have a tendency to jostle a bit yeah. which would not so. be uh, very good to look at in uh singular so for all those people for some reason i think it probably came out around vietnam movies or whatever you know how they got the notch and the dot okay if if in fact that was what they're going to do with it they wouldn't need the notch the notch has no <laughs> would not help any way shape and form of placing the dog tag in one's teeth etc so 
I just want to get that out of the way because I still. So I'm hear- glad. I'm glad you did, Don. I had no idea. You never heard that horrible rumor? No, no, no. I've heard oh. that the notch was to do that. Yeah. I've heard that. Oh, they're going to kick it. I didn't it know in. that that was. Yeah, I didn't know that that was apocryphal. I didn't know that was false. Nope, one hundred percent false. It's as we said. It's to keep the dog tag from jostling in the machine and to, and to be held into the machine. So that's purely a machining process tool to have it lock in and it nope. doesn't walk. I wish I had it sitting in front of me. I've got I got one sitting in my office. I put it in a machine and show you. That's pretty cool. Yes, yeah, so has nothing to. Henry, do. send me your information, your in, your your mailing address. I'll make you a set and I'll stamp it with the machine. Hell yeah. I'll tell you what, man. Make one for my kid. He'd love that. You bet. Just send me what you want me. on there. And I'll, yes. I'll buy them from you. I'm not asking for a freebie. When it came to <clears throat> researching the appropriate um, information, because obviously with each series dog tags, the, the some of that information changes from bit to bit. Where did you get started and make, make uh, locating that information to find out, you know, you obviously you want to make correct error, correct dog tags, depending on when they were issued. How did you go about that research? Um, there's a really good website called med, med-depot.com. That's where I started, but I also have a picked up a couple of books and then just some online research, and then I started collecting them. So I probably have two or 300 sets of dog tags, um, and no two are the same. So you have a format that was used from pre-war, and then you have the one that's early war, which is your your name and address, and that was used up to about mid '43. And then they they started to just use first name, last name, or first name, middle initial, last name, army serial number, uh, tetanus, and then toxoid, and then uh, your blood type, and then down the lower right hand corner is your religion or faith. And um, they dropped all the, the information off your dog tags because we, you know, people get captured and you start handing out all sorts of demographic information. It can, it's a lot of intelligence there. Well, um, but I have, I have multiples of each and they're very different. And um, I had somebody ask me one time, why does your Audie Murphy tag not match the format? And I said, well... I used the photograph of Audie Murphy's dog tag that's in the Smithsonian. And then um, I said, but you know, you, you stamp 10 million people's worth of dog tags. You make 20 million do- sets of dog tags. They're all different. Some, some private is just too lazy or in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Make it. He's just going to stamp it. Whatever fits. Oh, the information's all there. That was- yeah, I guess the most important part would be the service number and the first and last name. The rest of it yeah. and the blood type. Um, yeah, if, yeah, if you look at... Um, um, Meehan's dog tag. It doesn't have hardly any information on it either. It's his name is um, ASN blood type, and um, I'm not even sure his faith is on there. I'd have to go back and look. You know, I was saying earlier that I got my grandfather's dog tags reproduced by you many years ago. It wasn't until I received them in the mail and I got to looking at them. Obviously, I filled out the form on the internet, but I I never put two and two together because I really didn't know. My family history, as far as my grandmother's father's last name, and and I was looking at the dog tags, and at this point, I'd gotten a little more up to speed on my family history, and I realized, and I, I still don't know why, but I realized because my grandfather has the early ones, and interesting, like you said, he kind of took the geographical information off of them. Well, his is early enough that it still says Route Two, Walton, Kentucky. 
But instead of having his parents' name on there, he has my grandmother, i.e. his father-in-law's first and last name on here. And the only thing I can think of is my grandfather came from poor eastern Kentucky coal mine towns. And when he moved to Richwood, Kentucky or Walton, Kentucky, that's where he met my grandmother who was the daughter of a um, formerly well-to-do local property owner and businessman throughout Cincinnati. But as everybody else, the recession came along and they pretty much lost everything but the property. And at that time, he still owned a dairy farm. And that's where my grandfather came. He got tired of working in the coal mines and came down to Kentucky. So the only thing I can gather is that he figured if anything were happened, maybe his father-in-law would be easier to get a hold of than his family out in the east, the coal mine towns of eastern Kentucky. Other than that, I, it's a little weird to me that, or maybe they just got along a hell of a lot better than him and his <laughs> old man did. I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, he actually has my grandmother's father's name of... Um, of um yep ch maxwell on there instead of his last name of woods so that was pretty interesting to figure out it's funny that you mentioned that i recently remade um william weiler's dog tags from a photograph and so he's memphis bell guy best years of our lives mrs miniver jeff's um, eyes just lit up uh, oh yeah it's um, um yeah um and so I have a buddy of mine who's really um good friends with his daughter and his daughter was the executive producer on the the 1990 version of Memphis Bell. Um, on his dog tags, he had his lawyer. Really? Wow. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Um, uh, could have been the same hypothetical reason. Maybe he was easy to get hold of. Um, and he had no religion because William Weiner was, was Jewish, so he had no religion on his tags, which is common. Yeah. Um, really common. Um, a lot of times as well, Instead of H for Hebrew, they would they would put Catholic or Protestant on there. Jeff, you pointed out a good um, observation about your dog tags, I think a week or two ago, right? About the lack of blood type or something like that? Yeah. So, and doing my research, so I'm, I'm you know, I, when I'm in my army uniform, I wear the ones that I was issued. Um, so <clears throat> watch out. I'm not correct. If you check under my underwear <laughs> when I'm reenacting, you can feel free to check. <laughs> Um, but I do have a World War II chain that I put them on, so at least I'm half right. Um, but when I was making my my Marine Corps tags, and, and, and Lance, I'm sorry, I think I I know I've been on your site for research, but I think I used a different site to have these made. I don't think it was well, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't do Marine Corps tags yet. Um, okay, I yeah. I asked if you did. Yeah, they're really tough because th there was a guy doing it. He went out of business, and I bought all his stock, so I have all the stock to do it. But I'm having to modify um, one of my machines to not stamp all the way through. Yeah, so, I can yeah. imagine. This is a whole different ball of wax here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was like USMC World War II dog tag, whatever it was. Um, yeah, that's so, exactly what it was. Yeah, they had the HBT yeah. background. That's all I remember because that's where yeah, I got mine from. The, probably. Yeah, the, that's, where I got mine, that's where I got my Marine ones from as well. Yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, I, you know, I put my name in my first middle initial, but then... For my serial number, I used, like Don, I used my grandfather's. He was in the Marine Corps, 46 to 48. And it kind of made me, and on their website, they had a great information there, too, about if it started with whatever number it meant that they were drafted or whatever. So I'd mentioned to Don when he, he sent me a picture of his, like his serial number is a lot better than my serial number because my serial number didn't come out till 46. Uh, again, feel free to reach in my shirt if you really care, right? Um, but... 
on the blood types, you either see O, you see A, you see maybe you see AB. I'm not sure. I, I don't know uh -huh. if I ever have. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but yeah, you well. don't see O positive or O negative. And that made me do a little more digging and figured out that there was no identifier for O positive or negative at that time. Um, yeah. So right to be before careful. the war, right before the war, um, it was discovered the, the RH factor, positive or negative, um, was a thing, but they didn't think it was a thing. It's like, oh, it exists, but it doesn't really matter. And so you don't see positive or negative on there. And I can't tell you, and I really need to change the website to tell people that because half the time I'm emailing somebody, you know, do you really want this positive or negative on there? Um, if so, it's going to be POS or NEG like they are in, in currently. Right. And um, uh, it's not 100% accurate. And, and I would say 99% of the time they're like, take it off. Yeah. And it's interesting. And, you know, I, I know, I think, so I'm O positive, which is fairly good. popular. It's great. It's great if you're a soldier. Good right? one. It's a good one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it also means like, the Red Cross will be calling you every single year if you ever donate blood. <laughs> well, I was going to say the same thing because uh, the biggest thing I remember about being O positive was I don't know how many times mm -hmm. being called up in the middle of the night to hop in the back of an LMTV and whatever the heck you're wearing and haul to, you know, we were stationed in Baghdad and, and haul butt to the cash to, to donate blood to try to, you know, help somebody that was, huh. that was bleeding out. So, um, wasn't always a good thing, <laughs> you know, but yeah, like you said, like I said, good for me. So, um, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. I wanted to share it, you know, on, on our social media page for, for the reenactors that really, really get to the nitty gritty. Yeah, it's an important piece of information. It's history, right? You know, it's what it we is. do. It's, it's right. I I had a conversation. I made some tags for a movie years ago, and it was a conversation about um, addresses on there. And um, they didn't want any of the addresses on there because of legal reasons where they were filming. And then um, I made some for a TV show. And the, and the plot was, and I wish they would have told me beforehand, was set around the Batan Death March because I would have made a totally different tag um, than what they had ordered. Yeah. Um, so they had ordered a little bit later war. I think they ordered a 41, it was a 42, 41 to 43 era tag, but it probably more than likely would have been a 40 style. And, um, I watched the show. I enjoyed the show, but I'm like, oh, the dog tag to rock. The dog tag to rock. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, why wouldn't I, they ask me you know, before they send the order? Why wouldn't they right. ask me? Who, who really is going to pick on that? So that, the that guy who makes dog tags for a living. <laughs> yeah, maybe that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm the one, one guy on the planet who would be a little yeah, upset about that. You'd be the one guy. So um, as most of the listeners know, it's been years ago now, I did some work on an independent film about war dogs in the Pacific, and I thought it would be cool for the actors to, I made them all a set of dog tags, but it had their character name. Mm -hmm. And then I just put the name in the film walking point 2020 and I handed it all out when, when I met everybody, when we did the big safety briefing, you know, and of course the guys are, Oh man, Jeff, this is awesome. You know, they put it, I said, yeah, absolutely. Put them on, you know? And it, <laughs> the executive producer was like, now we're not going to see where it says walking point 2020 on the tag. Right. I'm like, 
lady. Not unless you do a super no tight way. shot. You, <laughs> yeah, you, you watch the film. You tell me. So, but the guy saw it was really cool, and they, they could, you know, cool little souvenir from the from the film, if, if and it added a my, little, you know. Yeah. I when I I made I made Hacksaw Ridge. This is what I was talking about, and they gave all the extras a set of dog tags with Hacksaw Ridge. Um, huh. I can't remember when it was filmed on it, but if you want to get a really good set of my work on. On on the big screen, the guy doing guy doing chin ups, nothing else on but his dog tags. You can see my dog tags really well. The naked that degenerate. Right, That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, that's cool. Obviously, none of us are full bottomist, and yes, that's a word I know. But thinking back about thinking back about it now, I wonder what the negative implications were of giving someone because they didn't know, you know, if they're a, a positive, giving them a negative blood transfusion and if there's potentially lives could have been lost and, or they just got extremely ill from it. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know, but that's kind of something interesting maybe to look into for a future episode to touch back on it. Because I mean, that's huge. The amount of men getting hit and the, you know, as rudimentary as it was, the, the blood transfusions they were doing and not to have that very, I mean, obviously anybody who lives nowadays, you just go give blood at work or at school. That's like, you know, something they got to know. If you don't know, they test it before, obviously, they issue it. But it's just interesting to think in a conflict that big, if there was any sort of negative out, you know, outcome of that. Hmm. Now you got me thinking. Yeah, we do that around yeah. here. I've Certainly a, potential for it. Yeah. I've got a reenactor that's a combat medic serving currently. Um, it may make for a good topic to have him on because I, I, yeah, I think he would know. I think he would know. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's amazing though. It's like we've heard stories from people, you know, who either provide stuff for movies or, you know, who are asked to do historical, you know, evaluation or whatever for movies. And kind of like you were saying, it's like, why wouldn't you reach out and ask the guy you're going to order the dog tags? Or, hey, we're doing it this time period. Is there anything we should know <laughs> instead of issuing the order first and then it coming out? But, you know, it's just one of those things. Real mm -hmm. quick, Jeff, you weren't here last week. And, uh, Henry, before you came on, um, mm -hmm. we got to talking a little bit about uh, Lance and I. We're talking about uh, Rogue Heroes. And um, he told me he binge-watched it twice through. And um, I got to talk to him, and we decided to save it for the air. As we mentioned last week, it looks like some of those scenes were shot maybe around Cairo or you know, out in the desert somewhere. It didn't look like some sound lot behind Universal Studios. And Lance was getting ready to lay some information on me. I said, oh, let's save it for the air. But you're, you were saying some of your uh, two guys you know who have a podcast, they played extras in an episode, and you got a little yeah, details. Got, yeah, the his, history, um, Living History UK is a group of three guys out of the UK. Um, uh, I met them through a, a reenacting podcast and online zoom calls that we did during the pandemic and um give them a listen they're really good, good I'm gonna give them a plug give them a listen they're great guys but they they reviewed um uh Rogue heroes when it first came out and um favorable review they they really love the action and how it was going but uh, one of the guys was in episode two as an extra and they filmed it in a quarry in the uk where they just totally redid the quarry to look like um, the, the 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 desert. 
Yeah, the bunker looking looks like an old. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly which scene. It's episode two. Yeah, <laughs> I keep trying to spot him in the background. Um, but uh, some of it was definitely filmed in the UK. But I would agree. You know, it looks like it's filmed out in the out in the giant. I, I got to get on that thing, man. I'm 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 really wanting to check it out. It's a it's a fun watch. It's a really fun watch. Yeah, like Lance um, and I are talking. If you're a stitch Nazi, you may be put off. But if you're looking for a fun, action-filled show to shine some light on some history that maybe you or the general public didn't know about, it's that it does that, and it's yeah. a good watch. Is this like kind of a new version of Rat Patrol? No, no. Okay. <laughs> this is a. It's streaming on MGM Plus. It's an epic uh, picture. It's six episodes. It's about the forming of the SAS. Oh, the, the British paratroopers okay. in uh, the in I North African campaign. <laughs> well, Jeff, that was my first thought when Don started talking it up last week. I was like, "Wait, okay. man, you're, you're I'm thinking Rat Patrol here. That's what this sounds like." <laughs> yeah. So, okay, they did a cool. fantastic job recreating that famous picture of them all sitting in the willies in the desert with the beards yeah, on. Is. And if you Google it. And you take a snapshot of the real, because I was, I often wondered who the hell took that picture. Now we know, but if you actually take the real photo, then when they recreated that, and then the other thing I liked too is they would quickly flash, like when they're doing the montages of them jumping out of the trucks because they didn't have uh, planes to jump out of. They would, yes. they would flash to actual film of the time of them training, and so you could actually see it would flash, and you could see why they were doing that in the movie and how it wasn't made up for the show, but. They had a lot of cool um, archival footage in there as well. Yeah, there's, and I'm of the opinion that if you if you don't even like the show, but if it spurs you on to learn more about the history and the SAS um, in any way form, and the SAS then is very different from what it is now, um, <laughs> then it's a then it's a great show. It serves its purpose. If it, it, it gets somebody to crack a book mm -hmm. and learn about the originals. And learn about um, Sterling and Patty Maine, um, and how their personalities really are very different in in many ways than what's shown, but don't make as great television. Still, incredibly interesting gentleman. Yeah, and I don't want to give gentleman it away. Loosely, um, worth it. I don't want to give it away, but the scene when they did their first campaign jump—that was crazy. I was like, "Holy hell!" Now we yeah. know why you don't jump into the desert. That's all I will say. But <laughs> but if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, go back to the last episode where I was uh, gushing all over Rogue Heroes. Um, you can go on Amazon Prime, stream the first two episodes for free, and then you sign up for the seven-day MGM thing. Binge watch it, and if you want, just cancel like I did. But anyhow, it's a great show. But uh, yeah. So, Jeff, uh, what have you been having going on, fella? <laughs> um, well, that's also a long story. But uh, really just... You know, I was telling before we came on the air, you know, the uh, the annual air show I'm a pretty good part of um, is in about five weeks. And it's hard to believe because, uh, you know, like you were saying earlier, we, we had three days of school that was canceled last week because we got that much ice and it's the middle of Texas. So that's what happens. We don't have plows. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, a lot of low water crossings and bridges and all, all the so. <laughs> is what it is, guys. Well, be honest. Um, the reason you guys had to cancel school is half your population wears cowboy boots, and anybody from Kentucky and Ohio knows cowboy <laughs> boots and ice do not mix. You will slip and bust your ass because there's absolutely no tread on those leather soles. That's the reason why thing, they closed out in the state. There's only one thing worse than wearing cowboy boots in the ice, and that's jump boots. <laughs> Man, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, but no, so 
Uh, so yeah, it's crazy to think, you know, it was like 75 degrees today, you know, we're waiting. It's like, it's spring. Um, but that's just kind of how it is here. So yeah, looking forward. So the middle of March is kind of our big spring festival. It's a week long, uh, you know, deal that, you know, we do our spring break and we always have the air show at the end of spring break. So it's hard to believe in, in five weeks. And, and we're always the first air show of the season, you know, around the country, we kind of kick it off, um, which definitely helps um just just trying to be able to get air acts to come in you know you you wait till april may or september october and forget it you're competing with all the bigger ones so um we've got looks like we're gonna have some world war ii vets again we had nine of them show up last year courtesy of um operation meatball and if you don't know that organization you need to if you're a world war ii fan of any kind uh, I know the gal that runs that organization real well. I've known her for years. And what she does is just unbelievable. They're based out of San Antonio. So was actually talking to her yesterday, day before, uh, planning some of the more solid details about my Normandy trip in, in June. And um, so, yeah, having her on board to bring some vets up is just really special. And and to have that many. I mean, let's not overlook. I mean, yeah, in 2023, well, to have that many in one location, um, that is saying something it is but you know that was in 2022 and she did tell me that that was a real special air show because that was the last one for for some of those guys yeah. um they've since uh passed since then so we'll see you know who we can get this year but um i know colonel mcphail will be coming i've mentioned him a few times he's a hundred of course he might he may be 102 by the next time i see him but he's the last surviving world war ii corsair pilot uh, he served at the end of the war, and then he was with VMF 323 in Korea, the Death Rattlers. Um, so just a super guy, sharp memory. I see him maybe twice a year, and he remembers me every time. So that really tells you I, he is on the ball. Uh, I saw him at the Dallas Air Show in November, and he was like, oh, I can't wait to come to your air show in March. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know. Um, so... You know, that and uh, all the other things I got going on. I told you all about my new adventure with the library and all the things I got me doing there. And um, so I'm sorry I can't be here every Monday night. Uh, I, I hate that. But right now it's a little tough. But you guys don't skip a beat without me. So it doesn't really matter anyway. Yeah, we slow down just, a little bit. You, you wait till I'm not here and you talk about Yeah, we just cover stuff. the crap you want to talk about. And we said we can't do that this week, Jeff. And then as soon as you say, <laughs> hey, guys, here. I can't come on. Like, I send Henry a completely different message. I'll say, okay, now we're going to talk about the stuff that Jeff has been wanting to talk about. And we're going to get it off the list quick. That's how it works. I, I can tell because we have – so for the listeners, you know, we're like a bunch of little teenage girls. We have our little group chat, right, a little mm -hmm. group text with the three of us. And it's blown up all week. And then I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. Like, I can't be there. Silence. Crickets. It's just Don and Henry going, okay, what are we going to talk about now that Jeff's not going to be here? Yep. Eighth Air Force models. I'm just glad we've got a guest on tonight so we don't have to pull stuff out of our ass to talk about. Hey, <laughs> we don't do that. So, Henry, just between you and I, you do have, you are working on the guy who developed, you know, model glue to come on when the next time Jeff's not on, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, Henry, what's been going on in your neck of the woods, friend? Just plugging away. Um, you know, all the irons that I had in the fire are still in the fire. Um, but just doing my thing, plugging away on my book project. You know, that's a long haul thing, of course. But, uh, yeah, things are things are going fine. Busy at work. 
you know, I was thinking this this would be good to hold off until our next episode because uh, our guest that we're planning on coming on, but it would not be fair to the person who not only sent us the email, but sent the gift package over my way, and I just want to let that person know that we did, in fact, get it. So I got it in the mail the other day. She sent uh, the Pearl Harbor 80th anniversary lapel pin, uh, the book Pearl Harbor Survivors. And I'll get into this more when we have the, the um, our next guest coming on because he has a lot to do with what we're uh, reading about. But she sent a great little uh, letter on here. It says, hi, Don. This package uh, relates to the email that I sent on January 19th, 2023. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then I must have sent it to the wrong email. If so, let me know. And um, I just want to say thanks, Rona. Uh, got the package, got the book. And she also sent some great, um, another little flyer. It says, uh, this one's not from Pearl Harbor, but I live, I'm sorry, I live near it, and it's great World War II stuff. She sent a Port of Chicago Naval uh, Magazine pamphlet. has information on the Port of Chicago, which is very cool. It has the uh, some information on the toll. And then uh, another two-sided uh, Rosie the Riveter World War II home front. Um, it's some information about home front and basically manufacturing in the United States, and it's a two-side timeline and very cool pamphlet. So I just want to thank her very much for uh, sending that our way and I can't wait to jump into this book and um, just yeah awesome and uh, See, we go ahead Henry we're, we're doing this all wrong because if you remember when when I read the email out uh-huh. she, she said at the end that oh you know Jeff I've seen your bookshelf behind you and Henry you've got your dad's stuff so I'm just gonna mail stuff to Don yeah. so yeah we're doing something wrong I need to have a different background well, I was gonna say the so. problem is is Henry's got all that cool <laughs> stuff hanging on the wall you got a bookshelf. I got a green sheet hung over a window. <laughs> if I would rotate my camera, then she'd see all my M1 helmets, my bookshelf. But no, I. it's a sheet. There's nothing. In, I'm in a room by you, myself. You guys have your rooms for World War II stuff. I don't have that. I mean, yeah, I got this stuff up behind me there. Just my dad, this stuff. <laughs> my dad's shirt, his K-bar. You don't stuff. need the room. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm telling you, man, all my books are in a closet. It's just I, I want to get that going. Hopefully one day. Isn't that funny anyway, how it works as us men? All of our stuff gets relegated to one room or a garage, and the ladies have access to everything else. We just see when we moved. Room. I promised my wife I hadn't gotten back into the World War II stuff yet when we moved. Okay, two and a half years ago, and so I promised her I wouldn't put all my World War II because I'd long since put it away. You know, you guys know the story. And then, lo and behold few months after we move in this house and i'm here we are back in it and i'm with <laughs> doing what we do and i'm like damn man i want a world war ii room again and i've got to get my books and all and i just hadn't figured that out yet so you know one room isn't enough it's not you it don't get one i mean i have I this this study and that's nice but i have i have the outdoor shed that's completely full and i did podcasts from there i did a couple episodes from there because there's so much stuff and then of course my garage and i have stuff in the museum Put, yep. I have so much. I put surplus it, in there. Like if hey, I ever one of these in the collection, I'll put that out. My wife and I have talked about building a little outbuilding, you know, like a nice one, and 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 like forty if we by do sixty. That, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, with a you know with a the half track hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> two if, two if air zones, do, three air handlers. You know, just the basic If we stuff. do that, I mean, that's mine. If we do that, and I mean, like Jeff, I'll buy some of this stuff off your hands if you've got stuff to sell. Because um, I want to fill it up, you know. 
Yeah, I got stuff to give away. I don't sell nothing like that. I was going to well, say it before you we know. We work something out. I mean, but that's put, my dream is put to, a cot in there for me when I come visit you. Well, my dream is to do that and like have you guys come. Well, Don, you'd be coming up. Jeff, you'd be coming over and help me set it all up. You know, oh, you want the free labor. I, I thought you just wanted to hang out and have some beer statement. <laughs> well, well, free too. manual labor. Come out, set it up. I'll watch from afar. That's not what I meant. <laughs> sure. But, you, you know, that's my sorry. dream. It'll probably never happen. Sorry, sorry, Lance. We, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Lance, funny. you're more than welcome, too, if you got a strong back and <laughs> pair of work clothes. So you can out set up, too. Um, I will watch you guys put together a mannequin. I just put together my first mannequin. And it was one of the most complicated there goes Don. things I've ever there done. Goes Don. Yeah. Most most complicated things, getting arms in and a parachute yep. on the back and all through. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, I need a beer after this. I'll give you a secret. There you oh, go. Mine's just a bust hanging from a metal hook. And so the pants are literally just hanging there. So all I can do is so he's only half a mannequin, but he looks like a whole one from afar. So yeah, that's, that's cool. the secret. Yeah, just, got, just the bust a and a rack. Yeah, I've got a torso right now that's got a Polish paratrooper. He's all done up like a Polish paratrooper, but I've got my Bolshenjager standing in the corner of my room. I take photographs of my stuff to catalog it, and it's just like, I'm so, never doing that again. I don't care you how manly a you... Polish, a Polish yeah. paratrooper? Yeah, first Polish parachute brigade jumped into Arnhem. They're the ones that jump without parachutes? <laughs> I was going to say, there's a joke there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, you might get some hate mail for that one. Um, Send yeah. those emails to jeffcopsetta at <laughs> yeah, cancelme.com. Really. Lance, I'll just say that's very esoteric. My mom's maiden name, Godleski, came from Poland, Lithuania area, so bring it. I or Y at the end of that. Real quick, uh, I do want to hear about the, the Polish paratroopers, but I was going to say, I don't care how big you are, how tough you are, how manly you think you are. Nothing makes you feel a little weirder than when you're trying to slide over a pair of trousers on the lower end of a mannequin. Come on. You feel like you're getting your drunk friend dressed. Come on. <laughs> we had to do, oh, God, it's like four or five years ago now. Uh, me and my buddy Jerry, we got invited down to the Hilton in Tampa to for the Army's, Army's birthday dinner. And they asked us to set up our, inside the Hilton, a um, D-Day display. So I'm, I got a great picture of me walking down the aisle of the hallway to Hilton with a 30 cal on my shoulder. But, um, that we had my 82, my 82nd airborne uniform on a mannequin. And then, um, one of the, a modern day serving, uh, paratrooper brought in his 82nd airborne uniform. So you can see the difference, but he had it on a, um, first aid demonstration dummy, you know, the ones that weigh about 180 pounds. And so it did feel like dressing a drunk, like, come on, <laughs> trying to get the uniform on this thing. It weighs about 180 pounds. You felt like you're trying to get your passed out buddy ready for, ready for uh, inspection. It, it took forever to get that damn uniform on that thing. That's awesome. So it could always be worse. Uh, let's jump into it real quick. This would be interesting. Hey, Lance, what you reading? I am reading Fierce Valor nice. by Ronald Spears. Um, and I just finished um, Five Came Home over the weekend. Is that about the war correspondence? It's about the um, Hollywood directors that went to war. And there's a Netflix, yes. either Amazon or Netflix documentary on it. And it was one of the best books I've ever read. Really? I saw the it documentary. Really gets, I'll have to get the it book. It really gets into um, 
you really get to know each of the directors, their motivations, why they went, what they have came back, and the impact. It talks talks about the impact of the war on them, which you don't hear a lot. You, know, you don't hear about um, uh, uh, the PTSD people suffered because of the war, you know, and it really goes into that to a degree. And I appreciate the, them coming, the, the part about them coming home and getting their lives back. It's a fantastic book. I mean, I it, Fierce Valor about Ronald Spears, not a lot written about him. It's a really good read. It's, um, it's a, it's a, I'm not going to say it's lighter, but it's an easier read. Um, uh, than uh, uh, five K back. It's, both are excellent. And that's what I thought. That's um, that's Jared's book. His last book. Is that I was going to ask? Yeah, I'm like, Jared I'm like, that's Jared Frederick's book. Yeah, we had him on the the podcast a couple of times. He's a he's a good friend of the show. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Did you read his the book before that, the uh, Dick Winters book? Uh, which one? Hang tough. Hang tough. I, I have not read it yet. I have it over here. That's a good my, one. My stack about this big, I have to plot. Yeah, the cool one about that, the source material is basically um, a series of letters that he wrote to a um, pen pal back home. Um, and so you really get an insight onto, uh, on Dick Winters and, oh, that's, and yeah. how okay. he feels it's my about next book. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah, it's my next book. Henry, uh, what did you read, fella? Still reading Big Week. I've got about 100, well, less than 100 pages now before I finish that. And and then my next thing I want to read is Hang Tough by Jared. Yeah, it's a good read. <clears throat> How about you, Jeff? What you reading? Yeah, I'm still reading Patriots, uh, A.J. Langoth's book about the men who started the revolution. Um, you know, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, just, you know, getting to the heart of the American soldier from the 18th century perspective. And it's a good refresher, especially the, some of the history courses I'm taking right now. But I, um, you know, I don't, before I finish a book, I always know what I'm going to go into next. And I'm, I'm a little bit torn right now because, you know, before this air show, I do have this Iwo Jima program we've got on the, on, you know, 19 February and I'm trying to, you know, do I want to get into a book on Iwo? I have a couple that I haven't read yet, but you know, and, and I'm, and I'm not just saying this because of who's sitting here, but I really think. I might have to do that one again totally because I, I've only read it once and I, I'm, I'm not sure once was enough. No, and, it's not. You know, uh, if I'm going to read a book twice, if I'm going to take the time because guys, you know how many I have uh, and I plan to read them all. Um, so I always thought it was kind of silly to read the same book twice. Um, but there's, probably less than five that I have read twice. And I think that one definitely is probably going to be the next, the next read. Cause uh, you know, knowing Henry now on a more personal level, I think it's going to be a different experience for me. Um, you know, I read the Pacific, you know, Hugh Ambrose's before the miniseries, not before the miniseries came out, but before I saw the miniseries, I read the book and I was, you know, okay, I need to get all these, um, and so I read it then right after probably seeing the miniseries. Um, so, but now, oh my gosh, the amount of information that's rattling in my hand, my brain now compared to then 
It's going to be a much. It's going to be like reading it for the first time. So that's probably going to be the next read. I strongly suggest not only for you but for all of our listeners. Um, what the old breed is definitely a multi-read book. I've read it probably four times, but A Helmet for My Pillow is another multi-read book. I can't tell you how many times I've read that one, especially yeah. after I read Strongman Arm because he, he re, Robert Leckie rewrites some of that stuff from A Helmet for My Pillow, but he does it in uh, third person instead of first person. So he, when you're reading it, he'll say, a Marine did this, or a Marine said, oh, you're like, oh he's talking about, him, about himself, but in this book, he's doing it in third person instead of first person. Huh. But um, – yeah, Helmet I have for- read Helmet. I mean, I have, of course, I have that, and I've read it. But I also have his book. Uh, I guess it's just called Okinawa. Um, you familiar with that one, Lecky? Lecky. Yeah. Uh, I know. And I, ha- I haven't read it. <clears throat> Did he do Okinawa? I'm, I'm looking. To- because that was that was after him. You know, he. Pillow, yes, he did. He did Helmet for My Pillow, uh, Strongman Armed, and Okinawa, and Challenge for the Pacific. And a um, and uh, the story of World War One. He also did. So that's okay. it there. Okay. The last battle of World War Two. Robert Lecky. Um, Interesting. I, I need to check that one out. I've never um, I've never read it, and I, I'd like to, but um, but yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm torn. I, I may go back and forth. I may be reading with the old breed. I may be looking at an Eric Hamill coffee table Iwo Jima book because see if I can pull this around a little bit. That's the uniform I'm I'm setting up. Uh, to wear for the Iwo Jima program in February. It's an officer. It's all original. Um, I have a first Mardiv patch on it. In fact, I was talking to Scott Gibson the other day. I said, hey, I'm going to do my best ACAC uh, here in a couple weeks. And uh, he's, oh, that's, you know, that's pretty cool. But, of course, for an Iwo program, I don't know. I may have to pull a put a fifth Mardiv on there and change my ribbon bar a little bit. That's got three, uh, three campaign ribbons on there. So I have to maybe do a little tweaking on it. But, but we'll see. I envy you for that because, like, the only way I would ever fit into an original uniform is if it was that one seven foot German that you often see photos of. Because I'm <laughs> six foot five, and I've been I've been to some cool sales, and I'm like, no, this this Eisenhower jacket don't fit. No, no. Yeah. It's like, oh, I so yeah I yeah I am pretty lucky in that aspect. I mean, five eleven, one eighty, size nine boot, just like everybody you know. else. Average, just like everybody else, <laughs> except I. You know, I will say there's one. The one part of a, of a, an original uniform that is hard for me is I feel like guys back then did not have shoulders. Yes, that's about the only problem. That I, it, it's it's a little tight sometime in the shoulder up under the armpit. You know, but other than that, that's I'm not I'm a, not a as you guys know. Problem. I'm not a reenactor guy. I love the uniforms and all, but if I ever did, I'm the exact same size that Chesty Puller was. Really? No kidding. Five eight one seventy. No kidding. One sixty five one seventy. With a sixty three inch t- chest, right? And, that- <laughs> and a big jaw. Well, the good news is P forty ones are kind of baggy anyhow, especially after the guys lost all the weight. So you can just, you know, right. that's super easy to to wear. So I am still reading the longest day, um, which I've got to say, this is a fantastic read. Um, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to like ruffle any feathers, but it's like, why did they name the movie after this book? Because this is far superior. <laughs> but anyhow, um, it's a good book. But Jeff was talking about trying to. Did I send you that one? Yes, you did. This is from the okay. uh, yeah. Jeff Copsetta. I think you sent me a copy collection. of it too. I, I, I had three or four, yeah. <laughs> and I did reapply the cover to Wings of a Prayer, which I'm going to be sending out to Henry this week because uh, he wants to read that one. So yeah, that's from the Jeff Copsetta Library as well. So that's getting <laughs> the well-rounded. Uh, Real well read 
event. But um, as Jeff was saying earlier, when you're reading a book, you kind of think about what you're going to read next. And back to what Lance was saying earlier about Rogue Heroes, I'm thinking about I might have to go out and pick up a book on the SAS because I'm extremely interested in that whole area. Because that's the one area I really, I do a lot of reading on PTO and ETO, but like North Africa, th that whole area, that whole campaign, I've done very little, I know very little about. So I think that may be a good segue into that whole campaign and uh, go down that route. But um, we uh, want to hear from you guys. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but please send us an email to mailcall at wtspworldwar2.com. Let us know what you want us to talk about um, and all that good stuff. Comments, questions, criticisms from what Jeff said about the nice Polish paratroopers <laughs> earlier. Uh, we'll get all that stuff in. And while you're at wtspworldwar2.com, please click on the Patreon link, sign up, and subscribe. And if you haven't done so, please head over to YouTube. Look for the Digital 410 YouTube channel, and you can watch us live stream every Monday. And now that I got all the shameless plugs out of the way, before we wrap it up, I, do, I, I was serious. I do want to hear a little bit about um, the Polish paratroopers in some uh, one, at least one of the campaigns they participated in. Oh wow! Um, put me on the spot here. Um, it's it, it's an incredibly interesting story um, about, and I've really only recently gotten into them in the last year or so. To um, I mean, if you've seen the if you've seen a bridge too far, you've seen Gene Hackman play Sasabowski, um, uh, and uh, seen them a little bit, but they were a arm of the Polish military that was formed uh, in the UK and mainly up in Scotland um, that was originally formed as part of the, the government in exile to be returned to Poland and fight in Poland. Um, and uh, they fought to maintain that autonomy for a very, very long time. And as Market Garden was approaching uh, finally, the Polish government in exile said, oh, attached them to Montgomery. And um, they jumped in. Their only combat jump in World War II was uh, into Arnhem on the other side of the river. Um, they crossed the river that night on uh, rubber boats and were part of the defending force to help the... Um, British paras evacuate over the river and, and most of the Polish got away and evacuated. And then they spent the rest of the war fighting alongside the Polish armored division in occupation of, of Northern Germany. Um, fierce reputation as fighters, just fierce. Um, you know, all of them had escaped. The Nazis had definitely no love for them for sure. Um, and, uh, you just don't know a lot about them. And, and so after I finished my Canadian impression, what's next? What's, what do I start collecting next? And what do I start building out next? And so um, that just seemed to be, be natural. So I wanted to, I thought about doing a British impression, but the Canadian and British are so close. Mm -hmm. The Polish are slightly different. Their uniforms are, are a little bit different. Um, they are British uniforms, but they also had a mix of American stuff in there. Um, and, uh, and what's really interesting about the Polish is they didn't go through British Pol jump school. Some of them did initially, but they set up their own jump school to qualify their, their paratroopers. Um, and they had a, their, to, 
to be awarded their wings, not only did you have to complete the training, you also had to complete a probationary period with the unit, and you could lose your wings if you weren't up to snuff. And so that was just incredibly interesting to me. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and, um, there's not a lot of information on it, but from what I've, I've, uh, gotten, I was like, or been able to find like these guys are badasses, man. I got to learn more about these guys. That is interesting. And, you know, I know there's probably quite a few stories, probably not enough. Um, uh, you know, they were excellent pilots that flew yeah. during Amazing World War II, pilots. both for the British and of course for, for us, right? I mean, our highest scoring ace. N-E-T-O, Gabby Gabreski. Gabreski, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, just learning. I think it was probably from an Alex Kershaw book that I read about the uh, the Poles at Battle of Britain and, and the Polish squadrons in the RAF. And, yeah, I mean, it's um, definitely an overshadowed piece of history. It's it's a big part of history, especially for for those guys. So that's really oh, cool yeah. that you're you're keeping it alive, and that's really cool. You know, you can be like Don here and do the whole hundred first thing. You know, nobody does the hundred first. I do any second airborne. I got any second airborne, but go ahead. All American, same, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do hundred first because I was in the five hundred first when I was in the service. See, that's okay for you. <laughs> you are a real puking chicken. <laughs> I was first calf. I had to throw that. <laughs> well, I was thinking when you're talking about you know government in exile and being a soldier for you know kind of a soldier without a home as for mentioned the previously the rogue heroes about how the, the french paratroopers were kind of you know stepped in with the part joined up with the sas it's, you're saying how they were such you know diehard great soldiers it's kind of like well at that point they had nothing to lose their, their home yeah. is essentially gone they've been you know overran by germany and you know the weimar republic and the ss and all that for so long it's like if you're looking for some badass group of um, special forces, if you will, why not a group of guys who have nothing to lose? They've already lost everything. The only thing they have is themselves and, you know, their mission. And the desire, I mean, who has more desire to kick someone out of a country than the people who have been essentially kicked out of their own? And, uh, you know, that's just a tremendous history. And as Jeff said, to not only to keep it alive, but that's just another one of those cool little things at a living history event or you know on a website a picture for your whatever just oh wow i've never seen that before and like you're saying it's also cool to think too that since they didn't really have a military at that point they were able to choose the best of the equipment that they wanted you know instead of being issued nope we got this contract well, for case, the lowest bidder we're going to take this case, it was yeah it was just whatever junk people would give them yeah and initially it was um yeah, that's one of their complaints or learning as I learned about them. The Brits didn't know what to do with them, so they just gave them, oh, we don't need this stuff. Go use it. You, know, you guys can have it. Um, some of the American stuff they had was uniform-wise and things like that, like their skirts and some of their... Um, Better footwear. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that's just about wrap it up for this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you for your continued support. And if you are getting into living history or you need another pair of dog tags, I know a fine place you can go. Head over to worldwar2dogtags.com and uh, tell Lance that we sent you. And uh, just a, as a howdy ho and a nice to see you. And uh, Jeff, you got anything coming down the line you want to promote other than your upcoming event? 
Pearl Harbor program, 19 February, with our friend Dennis Blocker. Uh, hope to have him on again to talk some movies and, and, and his new book. And then, yeah, air show in March. And then whew, over the the great blue for me for a few weeks in the summer. Let's have you check in from there. How about you, Henry? Anything coming down the pike? Yeah, actually, uh, so the 18th, going to be on a podcast, We Happy Few with Leighton and Matt Leach, their podcast with Saul David. But I bring that up, especially after talking Rogue Heroes, because I want to ask Saul if he could put me in touch with Ben McIntyre. Yes. You know, I met Ben in November, and he wrote the book Rogue Heroes. So I'm going to work that angle. But, um, but yeah. Lance, anything else you uh, want to get in there? Anything coming down Pike? Social media oh. stuff or anything? No, I'm just excited for April and jumping out of planes again. But uh, other than that, that's the big stuff on my on my calendar. Is that a dog behind you? I saw something waggling on their couch. Probably. Yeah, Probably. We're big fans of dogs here. What kind of dog you got there, fella? We could have done like 40 minutes on a dog. I um, American Eskimo, um, Chow, Australian Cattle Dog Mix. He's 13. Nice. Um, he goes from loving dog to cranky in about two seconds. And then probably sleeping on my bed is my Staffordshire Terrier. Oh, good boy. And you can hear Muck. Yeah. I got Bailey over here snoring on the floor because uh, it's about time for us to wrap it up. But I want to thank each and every one of you. Thank you for coming on, Lance. And as always, we will talk to you all next week. This has been a Digital 410 production. Ha <laughs> ha